May my words be of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. After preaching two sermons already today, Father Stan told me that he needed someone preaching to him. So here I am. A blessed and holy Ash Wednesday. I want to ask a question as I begin uh, this evening. Do you need God? In fact, why don't we go ahead and show hands. How many of you think you need God? Well, at least it's a lot of good students in the class. On some level, I hope we all know we need God, but I will confess to you that every Ash Wednesday when I find myself being deeply moved by this powerful liturgy that has been said for centuries and which has been designed to tenderize our hearts, there's a presumption there or an assumption there, our hearts need to be tenderized tenderized our hearts and souls to the reality of our need again for God. Every Lent for me, I have some little, you know, that little voice that sort of whispers in your ear, you say you need God, but the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see at the end of the day. Show me the meat. Is it real that you need God? Or Bishop Clark, will you tomorrow just turn back to your usual tyranny of the urgent and the problems that need to be solved and the concerns that need to be addressed and the bills that need to be paid and the things that need to be fixed at my house? Will that consume you again tomorrow after this glorious night of needing God. I started my Ash Wednesday today with Father John Beadle at All Saints Anglican Church in Conroe. It's a new church plant of the diocese and they meet at a, at a center that basically the ministry of this center, it's an interdenominational center, uh, that they feed the hungry and the poor in Conroe. And, 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 and it's amazing to me how many people they feed every time I go up there. But they combined both their morning breakfast with Ash Wednesday service this morning. And they had at least 75 people there, most of which were those who were homeless. All Saints was having its service, second service tonight. And as we met there in a place that they call Miracle City, that's the name of the, of, the, of the facility, Miracle City. As they met there this morning and had this powerful Ash Wednesday liturgy. As the fellow sitting next to me cried, saying, I grew up in the church but I haven't said these words in years. 
as he came back from communion and crying again and said, I haven't received communion in years. And I thought to myself, you know, I think I would love to start Ash Wednesday every year in a place surrounded by people who clearly know how much they need. Homeless, hungry. Because I will admit sitting there and watching them experience the liturgy that you and I take so for granted sometimes, and yet you could just taste in the room their deep need even beyond their hunger and even beyond their homelessness. Do you need God? The angels perhaps whisper tonight. A preacher last weekend where Tricia and I were uh, attending church talked about what a drag Lent is sometimes. And, and, and I knew what he meant. There've been, there have been Lenten seasons. This is just true confession here. There have been Lenten seasons that I've just not really gotten into Lent. Oh, I've given up my usual tortilla chips, which Lord knows I need to give them up all year round. Oh, sure, I gave up even more of my British murder mystery shows on television, which I need to probably give them up altogether. But there have been Lents that, that I will confess to you, my heart's just not been in it. Seems like a drag. Fasting and denying. All the music becomes somewhat drab. Almost like some dark Simon and Garfunkel song. Hello darkness, my old friend. It's time to go through Lent again. <laughs> I, I don't know where you are tonight. Maybe this is a Lent you're actually looking forward to. Maybe you are at a place in your life where you are remembering again how much you need God. It is what we do during Lent. It is the season that we remind ourselves of how much we need God and all in preparation for the great resurrection day of Easter when we get to experience again that we never have to be without God again. That in his resurrection, Jesus is with us now, and we get to live in a resurrected life. But something, some part of us, all of us, tends to forget that over and over again. We tend to forget how much we need God. We tend to forget how much we can live in a resurrected life. You know what? I bet you if I asked all of you to turn to your neighbors tonight and said, so tell me some of the aspects of the abundant life that Jesus promised that you are living right now. 
I would guess not every single person in this room would be able to immediately say, oh, absolutely. Let me tell you about the aspects of the abundant, resurrected life. No. Most people struggle, don't they? You might be struggling right now. You might be worried about the economy or you might be worried about your health or you might be worried about a child or a grandchild. You might be struggling in a number of ways, but you might not have woken up this morning saying, wow, I am looking forward to recalibrating my life back to the abundant, resurrected life that Jesus promised me. And because I get so numb to it, I realize it's going to take 40 days and then Sundays to recalibrate my life. To do what Paul describes as put on the new man or woman and put off the old. And this is why we understand that this season set aside for us in this rhythm of life that we call Christian. This rhythm of life, we set this season aside to give up ourselves. I don't know if any of you have tracked and, and, and watched the the. Revival going on at Asbury University, now spreading to colleges throughout the southeast and on the east coast. This revival that started three weeks ago today. This revival that three weeks ago today at just a regular Wednesday morning chapel service. Nothing special scheduled. Just a regular Wednesday morning chapel service. In fact, it was reported that, that the preacher that morning said to his wife, I don't think I'm a very good preacher. And so he went in and preached what he considered an average sermon, and they had what they considered an average service. And at the end of that service, the Holy Spirit descended it wasn't called down by the preacher but what immediately happened was that students throughout the chapel fell on their knees and started asking God for forgiveness I happened to be a studier of revival. I've studied dozens of revivals throughout the centuries, reading and, and studying the history of them. One mark of a true revival is that it begins with repentance. Unsolicited necessarily, not prompted by some great sermon, but literally the Holy Spirit coming and cutting a heart like he cut Peter's heart in Acts of the Apostles when Peter said, what shall we do? 
And when the people said to Peter, what shall we do if what you just said is true about Jesus and we killed him and their hearts are cut? And what does Peter say? Peter says, go and repent. Well, again, God is doing it. Those students started repenting. And they started then praising. And then as they repented and they praised, they felt an outpouring of the Holy Spirit coming down. And guess what that Holy Spirit shared with them? It didn't share with them, I'm going to give you all the power in the world. It it didn't share with them that you're going to do great and glorious things in your life. The Holy Spirit shared and has now shared for for three weeks God's unconditional love to at least those who are willing to repent. News commentators have interviewed others who came and said, well, yeah, it's pretty powerful. But, but I don't, you know, I don't really get the big deal. While moving just down the, the row, interviewing another one saying, yes, I came not knowing what I expected, what to expect, but I will tell you, I fell on my knees and I started asking God for forgiveness and all I felt was his love. It is the mark of true Revival. I'm a preacher who believes that if all I get up, all I do is get up and inspire you and you don't remember a thing on Friday or Saturday of this week, usually it's Wednesday, you realize that all of the statistics show that most Americans don't remember the Sunday sermon on Wednesday. Do you know that? I happen to believe that if I give you something to take home, And if you will but even faithfully follow even the the smallest direction, you won't forget. So what I want to give you tonight, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to the third chapter of St. Paul's letter to the church in Colossia. If you've got pew Bibles, once again, Paul's letter to the Colossians, it's right after Philippians. right before Thessalonians. And turn to the third chapter because if any of you have not picked out your Lenten devotion yet, if you've not picked out what you might meditate on, what you might read, mark, and inwardly digest, you heard me a little while ago proclaim to you that the church calls you to a season of, yes, repentance, but also a season of reading and marking and inwardly digesting God's word. Well, if you've not chosen something yet, then I lay before you tonight the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossians. He is speaking to believers, followers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you are not one tonight, if you have not made the decision to follow Jesus, I pray that you will just patiently listen to me. But for those of you who have decided to follow Jesus, Paul speaks to you and to me. Put, on, put then, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are, are on the earth. For don't you see, you have died. As a Christian, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know what Paul's saying there? He is saying that if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, you have no real life except that which is in Jesus. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he is your life, Paul says. No other. We try to fill our life with everything else, saying we're going to find some kind of happiness. We're going to find some kind of life, you know, whether it be, whether it be our 401k retirement or, or whether it be just comfort in our health or whatever. We try to find life in every other way, and God's word says that the only life we have is in Jesus. Then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, he says, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. Whoa, pause for a moment. Some of you are going to say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Paul. I haven't had a lot of sexual impurity in my life. Notice I said some of you are going to say that. Not all of us can say that. I've not had a lot of covetousness in my life. I think every one of us have had that. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. Before you were a Christ follower, you had these things. Now, you're going to say, well, I'm still a work in progress. I still feel like I have some of these things. I don't think I've arrived, so I don't know what you're talking about, Paul. What Paul is saying is that before we were followers of Jesus... We walked in them without any way of getting out of them. Now, in Jesus, we have a way of getting out of them. I can't tell you how many Christians I've counseled over the years that enter Lent. And they say, I've got to give this up this year because it's destroying my life. And they'll try for a week or so. And then they'll feel like a failure. 
And then the devil will lie to them that they are a failure. And then they will completely miss the point that we don't give things up in order to be a better person. We give things up to die to ourselves. And when we die to ourselves, that means we empty ourselves. And when we empty ourselves, Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, comes and fills us. And in that, no matter what sin, no matter what failing, no matter what weakness you think you have that you would love to straighten out, get rid of, give away by the end of Lent, you can't do it. He can. He can and he will. For those of you who are members of Alcoholics Anonymous, you are fellow more than aware that one of the very first things that an alcoholic has to, to accept is a higher power that has to control their life or else they will never give up drinking. Then Paul mentions a few things. You must then put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Do you understand you put on the new self when you were baptized? It's not like you're still trying to find the new self. What it, the original translation actually says, the new man. Do you know what that refers to? The new man is Jesus. The old man is Adam. And the, the old man or woman, Adam and Eve, that walked away from God, when we were baptized, we put on the new man and woman. But we have to live into that. We have to embrace that. We have to ask God to help us live into that. And so, if I could give you anything on this Ash Wednesday evening, I would say this, you and I still struggle giving up the old man and the old woman. Sin still lingers and attaches itself to our life. And it's because we keep trying to fix it by ourselves. In Christ, in Jesus, he will do it. What you have to do is surrender to him completely. Do you think giving up my tortilla chips is silly? Yeah, it is. But it's one of several ways that I just learned I have to die to myself so that Jesus can come and live more fully in me.
Let's pray. If anything, Lord, I pray that you will give every individual, every marriage, every family here tonight a vision straight from your throne of grace. A vision that will show them how they could make more, make room, just make room. By, if they give up things, Lord, not because they, it will draw favor from you. There is nothing we can do to draw favor from you. Jesus has already done it. But that if we can make room in our life, if we can make time in our life by giving up other things so that we can read your word, so that we can meditate and pray, so that we can let your Holy Spirit come and fill us with compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, that you could even show us the way to forgive those we can't imagine forgiving. But do whatever you would in us, Lord, to have us make room for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.